Greetings and welcome to another Different Church Podcast. My name is Jarrett and I hope you're having an awesome day. I'm recording this intro at 11.41 p.m. Wednesday night. I am in uh, Orlando. I'm sorry for the bad audio. This will only last for a minute and then we'll have we'll have uh, good audio here in a second. <clears throat> I, uh, ever since Sunday, have been traveling. I've been in Vegas and now I'm in Orlando and it's been crazy and I just haven't had a chance to work on this. Uh, apologies, uh, but this is a really cool episode. This is our biography episode, so it's extra long. <clears throat> Basically, there are four of us who got on stage and shared a story about art. Um, we do a biography um, service usually like twice a year, and we pick a theme and we invite our people on stage to talk about that theme. So that's what this is. Um, <clears throat> I don't have any announcements for you. I want to hurry up and get to the content because it's kind of a long one. So thank you so much for listening. You rock. Here is biography. When Hannah asked me to do this, my first reaction was, uh, absolutely not. This is terrifying. <laughs> so that means I absolutely had to do it. Um, <laughs> so today I've been asked to speak about uh, art, creativity, and faith. So we're going to go on a little journey here and talk about those things. Um, so when I was four years old, I had already knew that I wanted to be an artist. Um, and you have, you have it there. This is a four-year-old me representing myself as an artist. Uh, it's, it was like, um, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I drew this picture. Uh, I've got like a little easel and paints and I wrote my name in different colors. I'm wearing like a smock with paint all over it. So um, I knew like from a very early age that I was a creative person. Um, so I learned some lessons along the way of starting from an early age about art. And um, so number one, I had my first art business when I was eight years old. Uh, I was in class one day drawing pictures of unicorns and rainbows, as all eight-year-olds like to do. And a girl walked by and said, that's really cool. I, can I have one? Will you draw me one? And I said, OK. So it kind of caught on. And more and more kids like, hey, can you draw me? I want some unicorns, too. So I decided that. Uh, it might be worth my while to charge money for these drawings. Um, <laughs> so I started charging 25 cents for a small one. And if you wanted like a full 8 by 11 construction sheet of paper, it was 50 cents. Sometimes I would do BOGOs on these things. So I, was, I had this little booming art business <laughs> when I was in elementary school. Um, it was short-lived because uh, someone entitled to the teacher probably because they got in trouble with uh, mom or dad spending their lunch money on buying <laughs> kids' drawings. So I was told by the teacher to close up shop, shut down my art business or else whatever, going to the principal. So that was lesson number one in my early art career, that there's always someone telling you you can't make money as an artist. The second lesson I learned was um, the reason why I'm terrified <laughs> to speak in front of an audience, one of the many reasons, um, art can make you uh, vulnerable and kind of expose you in a way that you don't always want to be seen. Uh, I was sitting in class again when I was a kid, probably like third or fourth grade, and I, I tended to daydream and I was kind of bored, so I kind of lifted my shirt a little and I started drawing on my belly. I drew like a picture of a face and I had the little the belly button was like the mouth going. <laughs> and so I drew this crazy drawing on my stomach. And then the teacher, I heard my name to call me up to the front of the classroom and there was some kind of demonstration going on and they needed volunteers. So I was asked to go up to the front of the classroom and during this demonstration, it was some kind of science thing, I don't even know. I was asked to raise my hands in the air like this. And my shirt went up to about here. And I had to stand there and watch everyone snicker and laugh because they could see this beautiful drawing on my stomach. <laughs> and that was one of the times I was super embarrassed uh, at being in front of people. Uh, but look at how many people have 
body art nowadays. I'm just saying, you know, I was way ahead of my time. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, Moving on to sixth grade, I, um, my next lesson, uh, everyone is an art critic. Uh, when I was in sixth grade, we had some free, free time in class. Uh, I decided to draw a landscape, and there was a picture of a pond and trees and a sky. I was sitting there coloring, and this kid, his name was Doug. <laughs> Doug looked over at my drawing and goes, ew. What's wrong with that pond? It looks disgusting. And I said, ponds are disgusting. I mean, uh, he was very critical of the fact that my pond had brown, greenish water. And I was drawing my realistic interpretation of a pond because, you know, kids sometimes think water is blue. Use the blue crayon for water and the yellow crayon for the sun. And, you know, that's how basic, you know, drawing skills begin. But I had kind of felt like I wanted it to be realistic and really hurt my feelings because um, I put a lot of effort into it. And, you know, so whoever Doug is today, I see you, Doug. I know. Look at, look at what's happened now. Um, so everyone is an art critic. A lot of people will say, I can't draw. I can't draw. But everyone has an opinion, and they're going to criticize you. Um, so. I carried on through high school, and I'm like your typical moody, sulky teenager. I was like the weird alternative girl hanging out in your room. Uh, and I did a lot of art there when I was kind of hanging out by myself, sulking over some boy that didn't give me the time of day, or how the girls were mean to me at school, or how many pimples I had, or how my hair was bad, or whatever. Uh, general teenage, teenage angst, and I would draw the beautiful people. I would draw the perfect people and how I imagined like ideal beauty was and uh, kind of had to work out some feelings of unworthiness at that time, you know, feeling like, you know, how teenagers are kind of, they get into that like awkward kind of like, uh, you know, they don't, they don't really understand that, you know, life is changing, they're changing and, you know, you just have to go with it. Um, so that's kind of where I learned, started learning about art as being therapy. And a lot of times I turned to art in my life to kind of get me through a hard emotional things. And it's always been a part of that through my whole life. Um, so I went on and graduated high school and I, I thought I wanted to do a fine arts degree. Uh, so I kind of took all my core classes and then when it came time to like, let's pick, let's, what's your major? Uh, I kind of thought, you know, I heard all these voices in my head. You're not really that good. You know, why would you do this as a career? Or um, you can't make money as an artist. Or all these things came back to me, and I kind of didn't go for it. I did not get an art degree. Um, I did some other things. I went to school. I got married. I had kids. I got divorced. But my creativity never left me. And it's just part of my DNA. It's how God made me. Even when I was going through like a postpartum depression, I picked up some crochet hooks and taught myself how to crochet. And it was that repetitive motion of like doing the yarn that kind of like helped my mind through this time where I, you know, had a lot of things going on with, you know, hormones and depression, and it just got me through it. It it was always my art, my creativity has always been there. Um, somehow it found its way. Uh, it just comes out, you know, you have it, you just, it just comes out no matter what you do, it just, it's just there. I started doing like, going to a lot of Halloween parties and I love dressing up and I love costumes. Um, and so I, turns out I was pretty good at it. Uh, people liked it and they appreciated it. So uh, here's the next picture of me. <laughs> um, I, I learned how to uh, do a lot of things being a, creative person make things and I started doing cosplay where I'd go to cos conventions like Comic-Con and I would dress up as characters and I just kind of make these costumes and people like really praised me for it and they loved it and I just you know I couldn't believe that you know I'm like oh, it wasn't that hard I don't know um, and I started doing a lot in it and it just it led me to meet a lot of really cool people and see cool things and um, it just it was amazing um, I went to a uh, Game of Thrones party, and, 
uh, it was really cool. I, I walked in a parade of like 10,000 people in Atlanta and um, part of the Game of Thrones crew and I met this guy. <laughs> this, so if you know the Game of Thrones, he's a white walker. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, it's uh, always been a part of me um, through my whole life. Um, recent, not recently, but I guess a few years ago, um, I was going through some hard times, uh, a lot of grieving, a lot of things, kind of some life-shaking things happened to me. And I turned to art. Um, and here is the next picture. This is a picture I did um, kind of like uh, in a moment of grief. Uh, and at this time, something happened though where I just really, something woke up in me. And sometimes when you have these life-changing, heartbreaking moments, it kind of shakes you awake and you're like, and God kind of shows you like some things and shows you who you are. Um, and during this time, I started having these dreams. Um, I dreamt of uh, this sandcastle in the sand and I was building a sandcastle. Um, and all of a sudden it got washed away by the waves and I saw an actual castle, like a brick and mortar castle in my dream. And as I woke up, I heard a voice say to me, I'm going to help you build the real one. And I'm like, what does that mean? But I somehow knew that this was a message from God to me. Um, and this next painting um, was inspired by that dream. It's a sandcastle. Um, it's actually a tarot card. I was in an art show where uh, everyone had to paint tarot cards. So this was the, the card. Um, this is kind of like a life-changing moment that happens and kind of like everything falls down to the ground and you're left with like, what is this mess? But that's when sometimes things can be rebuilt and something better, bigger and better um, can happen. Um, so what I started to realize is I was playing small and now I was ready to build something substantial. And God wasn't going to build it. I was. I am a builder. God wanted me to create it. And uh, I'd wake up a lot of times at 4 a.m. during this time. I get like these crazy dreams. And one night I had this dream of this book and the page was turning. And it was kind of like a new chapter was beginning in this character's life. And I heard a voice again the end is the beginning. And I started to visualize my life as a story. And that I was a character in this story in the middle of this crisis, but I was the heroine. What I didn't know, that a new chapter was beginning, there was a plot twist. And who doesn't love a plot twist, right? Something amazing happens you don't even see coming. Uh, so it occurred to me that, um, I don't know, this book, it was kind of like an analogy of like how I was writing up my own story. Like I was in a story and I started to see life kind of like in a very different way, uh, in a way that believed that God willed me to create the life I wanted. That I was the builder, I was the designer, I was the writer of my own story. And he put in me gifts, desires, talents that needed to be used to create this beautiful life one full of joy and wonder and a life where I could be me, unashamed, full of love, and uh, not just for, my, for others, but for myself. Uh, I was the artist of my life. And um, so I have this uh, sign hanging over my desk where I can see it every day. Because I believe that uh, dreams, the desires that God puts in your heart, uh, they're there for a reason. And part of our journey in these human bodies is to make them real in the three-dimensional world. Uh, I believe personally that we are the co-creators of our own lives. And we've been told, you know, I've heard all my whole life, we were created in the image of God. Well, God's a creator. So does that make me a creator too? And I'd say yes. I definitely believe that we are part of the creator creation and we are the creators. So, and you might say, well, I can't paint, I can't draw, I can't write, I can't sing. But I'm not talking about those gifts, I'm not talking about that kind of creativity. I believe that we all have something inside of us in our DNA, it's in our design, a seed, 
of creation that wants to be born. It's a spark of creativity that resides in all of us. And God creates reality through us, through our hands, through our minds, through our gifts, through our talents, our abilities. And the inspiration is there. We are his tools. So I ask yourself, if time or money or responsibilities was not an issue, what would you be doing now? Maybe nothing comes to mind. I don't know. Like, maybe what, we, what did you want to do when you were a kid? Like, there's something there that is special, that's unique, that's, it's, it's a desire that, that God put there. Um, and, you know, maybe you feel it in your heart right now, and you kind of know what it is. Maybe you don't, but there is, you know, ways to kind of discover that. Um, and I believe everybody should kind of look towards those inner things to see how God really wants you to, like, start living in this world. Um, there's a book I want to recommend to anyone who is a creator, any kind of creation at all, like content creators, writers, singers, artists, etc., any kind of artistic, uh, called um, The Artist's Way. It's by Julia Cameron. It's, it's a life-changing book for me. I highly recommend it. Um, if you're a creative person, it kind of talks about divinity uh, in a non-Christian way. It's more general, but uh, how divine inspiration is there and um, kind of helps you with blocks. Like sometimes artists get these blocks and they're like, I don't know what to create or I'm not good or whatever. But this book is very uh, excellent uh, if you're interested in that. Um, so, and I kind of believe that... Um, Here's what Jesus said about it. Jesus said, ask and it shall be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened. And that's in Matthew 7, 7. And he didn't put any limits on it. The universe is limitless. I don't know if you saw recently, like over the summer, Hubble had this um, picture from the galaxies of like hundreds of galaxies I don't know, if you haven't seen it, Google it. Um, it's amazing, and it shows you how big the universe is, is. And that's what we have to work with. We have a limitless God, a limitless universe at our re as a resource for us to do what we want to do in life. So how are you limiting your beliefs? I believe that the story we tell ourselves creates a reality. The thoughts you think, the words you say, your actions, the way you live your life. So if you're saying to yourself things like, I am unlovable, my body is unattractive, or I'm not that smart, I should be doing better, I'm not capable of that, I'm not good enough to be successful, nobody loves me. If you're saying those things to yourself, you're living in unworthiness and lack and despair, I can tell you 100%, I believe that is not God's design for you. And you're telling this story to yourself. You're creating this. So how about saying we tell the story of something, let's take those thoughts and turn them around. Like, start saying to yourself, like, I'm beautiful. I am enough. I am good. I am strong. I am courageous. I'm confident. I love how far I've come. I am loved. And so you turn around those negative things and those start leading to actions. And when you are afraid of something and you look fear in the face and you say, I'm going to do it anyway, you're creating courage. And when you see someone who needs something, they're in need, and you choose to help them, you are creating compassion. And when someone is being wronged or mistreated and you choose to stand up for them and say, no, it's not happening. You're creating justice. And when everything seems to be lost and there's no solutions and there's no way out, you can't see a way through it, when you choose to believe that it will work out in my favor, you are creating hope. So um, this is faith, making the things we can't see yet in our 3D reality, uh, making them real. And just because you can't see it or how it's going to be done, it doesn't mean that it doesn't already exist. We are all part of this reality-making process. Creation is now. 
Creation is not in the past, in your failures, your mistakes, who wronged you or wrong turns. You can't create there. Creation is not in the future, planning and worrying about what's going to happen. Creation is now. And when you connect to the now, is when God can really create something through you. Uh, one of my favorite poems is from Emily Dickinson. It's called, Forever is Composed of Nows. And I love that first line. Uh, that's kind of how I try to live my life, as if everything is about now. Um, and you know, sometimes people say, well, I'll be happy when I get that job. I'll be happy when I make all that money. I'll be happy when I find my person. I'll be happy when I get that or this or become that or this. And I say that the joy has to come first. The creation is now. And so this last picture, um, I painted these paintbrushes. <laughs> it's weird painting paintbrushes. Um, uh, so, so you don't like the picture you've been creating, so what? The messy canvas of your life doesn't mean something amazing can't come out of it. Some of my best paintings were old used canvases. I just painted over them. So you can paint over what was there before until it looks the way you want. So I just want to challenge you today to see your life uh, as a blank canvas full of possibilities. We are all a work in progress. So one stroke at a time, you can make a beautiful life. You are the artist. You only need to be willing to dip the brush into the paint and let go of how it's going to turn out and just start creating. So I've discovered, as I hope you can too, that you have everything you need. God has already given you all the tools you need to create the life that you truly want. Thank you. Give it up for Elizabeth. Good morning. So uh, my name is Elizabeth Perry, and um, what I'm going to talk to you about today is uh, speaking on creativity and parenting. Um, so I am not artsy or really creative in any way, shape, or form. My art would probably look like Stephanie's did when she first, you know, started out on this journey as a child. Um, so some of the things that I am going to share with you today may be hard for you to digest, um, and in true different church form, you know, I, I fully anticipate, you know, if it's a trigger for you, please, you know, um, excuse yourself. But the reason why I wanted to share this story is because I really wanted to show the survivorship of um, going through a parenting journey and our experiences. So um, as I had mentioned, we'll be speaking about creativity and parenting, and these experiences really set the foundation for our daughters that we have today. So either you will love this information or you will decide what not to do as parents. So first and foremost, um, I am married to the original Katy Perry, my beautiful wife of eight years. And so shortly after marrying, we talked about family and what we wanted to do as far as our own family. I felt strongly about adopting a child where Katie hadn't really even thought about it before. So ultimately, we decided to begin our fertility journey. We struggled with fertility for well over a year. And while going through this fertility treatment, we actually attended a church with my parents uh, back home where we're from in Louisiana. And that day we noticed an older man and woman uh, with multiple children of varying ages and ethnicities in front of us. Katie and I learned in that moment about fostering. Our fertility journey continued with one round of IVF that ended in a very long and painful miscarriage. But on that day of my hardest miscarriage, Katie and I thought of the moment in church with my parents and found ourselves researching the requirements for foster parenting. The first steps to start your journey with foster parenting is to attend an in-person orientation. 
Conveniently, the next orientation was the following morning at 7.30 a.m. So we went. We went through orientation, two months of training classes, and the process to certify our home. We were exposed to traumatic stories and the raw truth of what was actually happening to the children within our city limits. We were finally approved to foster in March of 2016. In a little over two years, we fostered 21 children, including eight infants, six of which were drug exposed. This means we had a lot of practice figuring out parenting. In our first year of fostering, we had 10 boys come through our home. All had damaged and abusive relationships with women. So that was just another layer of fun that we added, being a home of two women. Um, our children lived with us ranging from 72 hours to forever. Um, there was a quick turnaround of children coming in and out of our home. So we really had to get creative, wink, wink, and establish our set of rules and routines to keep ourselves surviving as well as keep the children in our home thriving. We learned that we were at our best when we worked together as a team and we gave our children choice. The choice to decorate their bedroom, decide what to wear, what to eat, and what they wanted to call us. For us, creativity in our parenting allowed us to have established rules in our home without those rigid lines. We would always tell these children we love them, to which every child left our home saying they loved us back. It was amazing to see that if you can instill love into a child, they can love and trust you back in sometimes as little as 72 hours. Finally, we found it important to keep our faith at the center of this process. We were not allowed to force faith on children, but that did not stop us from having our own faith. And Katie and I really have always lived by, but especially during this time, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. So today, I wanna take you on a deeper journey with two children we had, our first placement and our last placement. And so for the privacy of our daughters, I will not be discussing their stories but we are always open to share with you all on an individual basis. So I'll start with our first placement, who is here, my sweet little angel. Um, on May 21st, 2016, we received a call to take in a four-year-old male who was speech delayed. I remember being so nervous waiting for his arrival. At the time, we had no idea that his speech delay would be the least of our concern. He arrived and the caseworker explained that he is cross-eyed, has rotten teeth, and comes from horrific living conditions. To that point, to the point that she actually handed us medication to treat his ongoing scabies condition. We didn't even know what scabies was, but now we will never forget. The first night he was placed in our home, we were unsure if he could even speak because he didn't respond to any of our questions. So in my true fashion, I told him, um, we have dogs, do you wanna help me feed them? To which he quickly responded, yes. While feeding them, he asked me, is this what we're eating for dinner? I thought he was joking and of course said, no silly, we don't eat dog food. And he said, well, I did at my house when we didn't have food. And I replied to him and said, well, I can guarantee you won't be eating dog food in this home. We proceeded to sit down at the dinner table to eat our first meal together as a new family. He looked up so sweetly and asked, do you guys got any rats? I looked at Katie and back at him and he said, and I said, no, we don't. He then explained that he had lots of rats at his house and that they would eat at the dinner table with him. At that point, we knew our creativity was going to be put to the test. Over the first week, he would eat so much food and hide it throughout our house. Most children in care do this because they know their food will run out. So they start hoarding food in preparation for that time each month. To ensure he understood he would never go hungry in our home, we created sticker food charts to allow him to see he would have meals throughout the day. Also, we moved all the kid food to his eye level in our pantry. I remember watching him run to the pantry, open the door, and make sure the food was still there. He decorated his room, picked an extracurricular activity, 
and chose our names for us. His names for us ended being her and her. The creativity we allowed him to feel and express allowed his personality to come through and allowed him to feel more comfortable with us. He had to undergo general anesthesia to have his crossed eyes repaired. The doctor told us it was one of the worst cases he had ever seen, and we should prepare for him to experience the side effects of motion sickness over the next few days. And my goodness, he was not lying. It was a very intense few days. But my heart exploded when his eyes finally settled and he said, I can see you. At this point, he had been living with us for three months and he could never really see us. He rubbed my face and Katie's face, just taking in our facial features. We put him at the best public school in town and with Katie being in education, fought for him to have a paraprofessional who, ended up call, who he ended up referring to as his best friend. We went, he went from not knowing his ABCs or how to count to receiving several awards and being back on track with his peers. He was with us for 10 months and was reunited with his family. We will always remember him as our first placement and the child who ended up determining our lifelong new names from her to her to now mommy and mama. Now, our last placement was another boy who turned six shortly after coming to us. We had been following his story from our caseworker since he turned four. The foster parent at the time was uncertain if he would want to adopt him, but after two long years of contemplating, she decided it was best for him to be placed with us. We found out he was exposed to extremely traumatic events with his birth family and that foster parent. This led to a lack of trust for adults. The first few months were what we referred to as the honeymoon phase. Katie tutored him throughout the summer and he went from being in special ed classes the year before to gifted courses in the fall of 2018. One of the biggest wishes was for him, that he had was to go to Disney World. And we took him with my parents in November of 2018. We started noticing some behavioral changes, which we thought was due to the overstimulation of all things Disney World. When we returned, we attended court where the judge granted that he be freed for adoption and he would be allowed to officially become a Perry. When it comes to adoption, children have the right to change their name. He asked us if he could change his name to William Perry. We had a wonderful December filled with our girls and William's first Christmas. And at the age of seven years old, it was his first time ever experiencing Santa Claus. However, during this time, his behaviors continued to worsen. And we started demanding that he receive therapy from our caseworker. Then January came where we were met with a very aggressive child. So much so that we had to call 911 twice to our home for the first time ever in our fostering journey and going through 21 children. And what was meant to be forever came quickly to an end due to the safety for ourselves and more importantly, our daughters. I have always been able to tell this story, but I have never been able to share my guilt of if we had fought harder and done more, maybe he would have gotten the help he needed sooner and still be in our family. This is something that I've struggled with since that very dark month in 2018 but I always believe God has a plan and his timing is perfect. This was further confirmed when we relocated to St. Pete, we found different church and found our new home. Conveniently, some fantastic church members and now friends live in our neighborhood. One of our neighbors being Allie and Aaron, who we regularly hang out with. One day while Allie was out of town, we had Aaron over to our house. In the conversation, we talked about what we did for a living. Once Aaron told us what he does, we started on the conversation of our past experiences with fostering. For some reason, at that moment, I felt comfortable sharing William's full story and further going into the detail about the guilt and pain that I still harness today. To which Aaron, without any judgment or question, validated my feelings by saying, 
William will always remember the love that you gave him and will never forget what you did for him. And just like that, I finally received the closure I had been longing for. So today, whew, it's October 16th, and it's conveniently William's 11th birthday. It's the day that I have tried to ignore since 2019. But I am standing here tall today and honored to say, happy birthday, William. Because in this process, I have learned and received confirmation that no matter how many good or bad parenting experiences you will go through, love for your children will always prevail. I'm proud to say that our family is a creative and unique family of 21 total children, two of which we have been blessed with permanently, but 19 others that will remain in our hearts and our minds through each of our next chapters. Thank you. And hello, everybody. I'm Rick, and this is a weird place for the announcements, but here you go. And I have some special things to tell you as well. First of all, this one more round of applause for these amazing speakers that we have today. Just like the, the courage and bravery that I see on stage here today is just really heartfelt, and I, I think that's really amazing. So we have some announcements, um, but first of all, if, if Sherry didn't do this, welcome to Different Church, you guys. And uh, if you want to take out your phones, we have a website, diff.church, and uh, you can go here to uh, tell us who you are. You can let us know some of the things that you're struggling with and some of the joys you're having. And uh, just let us know like who you are and how you'd like to be a part of what we're, we're doing here today. And um, we're going to uh, the Sunday fun day is Bavaro's Pizza Napoli Napolitana and pots, pastoria. I memorized that for you guys. <laughs> and we're doing that for a very special reason. I asked Hannah specifically for this, and I didn't know that what I was going to do would be coinciding with, with biography, so it doesn't, what I'm gonna tell you today doesn't fit with faith necessarily, but it does fit with different church. And this month is for all the Italians. Can I get some applause from the Italians here? That's right, there's more than one. Me and my sister are, are Italians, and uh, we're proud to be that. And this month is Italian Heritage Month, and I did something really special for you guys. The one thing I did was I, I didn't prepare it, but I ordered it from a bakery in Ybor City, a dish called scacciata. And uh, in Sicilian, that means smash the bread. And uh, it's, a, it's a pastry with some pasta sauce on it. Um, it. Please enjoy it. I can't eat it because there's meat in the sauce. But uh, please enjoy it. That's some of my, my childhood and Stephanie's childhood. We grew up eating this stuff. Our, pa our uh, relatives made it. And um, also, I wanted to let you know about this amazing guy. If you can see him, kind of an artistic expression of him. His name is Angelo Pezzana. Does anyone know who that is? Anyone heard of him? Well, let me tell you. Angelo Pisana is a gay man in Italy that, he's around 82 years old right now, but he was discriminated against um, for the early part of the 70s, and he owned a bookstore in Turin. And this bookstore, um, there was one book made by a psychoanalyst that would kind of like, it was about conversion therapy. And he wanted to protest this book. So he formed um, this, wonderful society called the Italian Revolutionary United Homosexual Front in 1971 and gave gay people a voice. Later on, he would also co-found ILGA, which is International Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, Trans, and Intersex Association, again, to give people a voice. And one of the quotes that he has here, he says, we only wanted to be human beings like everyone else and part of a society that was striving to be modern, including other fights for abortion, divorce, etc. And he made um, that possible for people in Italy, and I'm sure that spread to other parts of Europe. So 
that's Angela Pisano for you guys. Happy Italian Heritage Month. Enjoy the scacciata. But before I go, <laughs> what do you call, or what, how do you say goodbye to an Italian chef? Pasta la vista. <laughs> oh, okay. So without further ado, I'm going to invite Guyana to come up and tell us about her art stuff. Our stuff. Hi. How are y'all doing? Is this the is this the in, is this like the in between? Are we still good? We're still like alive and awake out there. Cool, cool, cool. So I'm gonna try to break this down as simply as possible for y'all, so nobody gets confused. I do have ADHD, so. There's going to be some pinging and ponging. Try to stay with me for the ride. I don't have any slides or anything. You're just going to look at my face for five minutes. Ooh, timer. Because I will talk to y'all for longer than five minutes. La, 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 la. OK, so. Actually, you know what? I need this to be an eye shot. There we go. OK, so art and faith. I think it's interesting because I heard someone say semi-recently that creating art is faith. And in the sense that you don't really know <laughs> when you have the courage to try out something creative, you don't know how it's going to turn out. You don't know if it's going to turn out well. You don't know if you're going to like it. Um, you don't know if other people are going to like it. And it takes faith to keep working on it till you get good at it. It takes faith to like experiment and try new styles of things. And if you're like me and you like to do more than one artistic thing, it kind of puts this pressure on where it's like, do I, <laughs> do I need to focus on one thing? Am I worthy of focusing on multiple things? Am I allowed to be good at more than one thing? And music has always been my thing. Like People have always assigned music to me once they know I can sing. And I've been singing since I was six, so it makes sense. But I also love to write. And I like to write poetry. I like to write prose. I like to rap. And I also paint, if you didn't know. Um, I like to paint. I like to draw. And I also like to dance. So it's just, you know, really, <laughs> it's, a hard, it's hard to focus on one when I like them all. But with each of them, when I create, it's, it's like starting new. If I'm working on a new song, I have to like start believing in myself again. Like I've never done it before. If I want to create a new painting, or if I want to write a new poem, or if I want to like freestyle over a lo-fi beat in my car while I'm driving, it's like starting over every time. It's like I haven't even proven to myself all these other times that I'm capable of doing things and that things can actually turn out really beautiful. Or at the very least, I've tried something new and I've stretched myself. But the cool thing about music is that it's given me the opportunity to combine, I guess, my three top forms of art that I really love, which is singing um, and just creating music in general, which involves playing guitar, writing, which is another love of mine. And then I often create the digital or physical artwork for the music as well. So that's the first part is that, to me, art is faith. It takes faith to create art for the first time, and it takes faith to create art continuously. How are we doing? Look at that, already two and a half minutes. Let's go. Um, did I say five minutes? It might be seven. Anyway, um, at first I was like, five minutes? I'm going to run out of things to say. So like, myself was like, girl, you got this. Um, you know how to talk. You come from a talking family. Um, the second thing is that I, it took me a long time to believe that I could do art for a living. And initially, I didn't. I went to college for graphic design, which I used to think was a completely wasted two years. But I know about the rule of thirds now. That's cool. Um, I also know the difference between good design and bad design. And I, it really helps to inform like any poster or album cover that I create for myself. So I was like, it wasn't a waste of time at all. You just don't have a degree, and that's fine. Um, but it wasn't until 2016, after working at a shoe store for a year, that I realized 
I am tired of people telling me, you should go to The Voice. You should go to American Idol, which I've gone to them both, and it's terrible. Don't do it. Um, but the bottom line is that I was like, there's these people who believe in me. Why don't I believe in me? So I was really fortunate to have a couple of friends in my corner who would like lend me sound equipment. Peter's one of them who like really believed in me and was like, let's crunch the numbers real quick, Gianna. You know how much more money you could make in a month than you're making at this shoe store if you start playing solo gigs and start playing duo gigs even. And so I did. I came up with a list of 90s pop tunes. I figured out the simplest way to create them on guitar. I even made up my own versions. I started calling venues and booking myself. And making music has been my primary and dominant source of income since 2016. And <laughs> thank you. And my only other main job for five years, until recently, um, was working at Painting with a Twist, which is like a, a corporate-ish uh, paint and sip place where you come and you learn how to paint a painting for two hours and you get to drink wine and we get to watch that situation unfold while we're trying to teach you how to paint a picture. Um, <laughs> but it was the closest thing to a regular job that I've had in a really long time and I was very happy and am very happy that I was able to take that leap of faith. Um, but every now and again, I would go through these periods where I was like, either gigs get canceled, um, because they do, uh, and last minute too, they have no, they have no respect, it's crazy. Um, or, you know, rainy season, Florida, how it rains for like four months and then venues decide, we're still gonna keep all the gigs outside, it's fine. We'll just cancel them all every time it rains. And so you have to, you have to figure out other places to get that money and, each time something would happen, or I'd even get discouraged with like having to continuously call these venues and be like, I'm important, I matter, please care about my music, hire me. Like essentially that's what you're saying um, without using those words. And it can feel like rejection over and over again. And I was like, I don't wanna do this. It's so much easier to have a job where you just clock in every day, you don't have to worry. But it's not fulfilling for me. I don't have the kind of brain that can sit at a desk. I've tried. I've tried so many jobs I could list them, but we don't have time. Um, <laughs> So recently, I got a barista job. I was there for about a month, and they weren't very organized, and it's fine, but the part that was a problem was that they unethically let me go and started hiring somebody else and started removing my hours, and I was only working three days a week, 15 hours a week. I wasn't working very much. Um, and when they let me go finally, and I just decided, I was like, I'm gonna start doing another barista job, I'm gonna find another barista job. And right before that second barista job started, it had occurred to me, I need to start teaching voice lessons again. Um, Cause I've done it in my life several times and I was like, I'm gonna start doing it again. And I got one student and at, you know, in the same week I got a call from this new barista job, like about, ah, six minutes. Anyway, um, <laughs> almost there. Um, I got a call to um, do this barista job and I was conflicted because I was like, oh, I've got, gotten a glimmer of hope about teaching voice lessons and between teaching voice lessons and studio sessions and gigs, I think that I could make a solid living without having to go back to the corporate world. Um, and I got afraid and I took this job. And after two days of training, it occurred to me, I don't belong here. And I was so afraid of disappointing these people and upsetting them. And I racked my brain for like a 24 hour period and I was like, well, God, and you know, God, God is, God is ambiguous. Like some, sometimes God will give you an answer and sometimes God will be like, as soon as you cross this threshold of hot lava, then you'll have your answer or perceived hot lava. And that's exactly what happened. I, I made the call. I said, you know, I really underestimated my ability to commit to this position. I'm sorry, I can't do it. And, um, Right after that, I got two more voice students and a studio session, and now I have three voice students, you know, in my, I guess, collection is a weird word, I'm not collecting them, but they're, um, they're like there. They're in my, my team of people that I'm learning alongside of, because although I'm teaching them, I'm, I'm learning. It's like, if you're good at a skill, the fastest way to make sure you actually know what the bleep you're talking about is to have a student. You're like, do I know how to? play guitar, do I know how to sing? You're learning the basics all over again, and it's amazing. Um, 
So that's the last part of art and faith. It's like, it takes faith to create art, it takes faith to believe you can do it for a living, and it takes faith to be reminded like, it's your purpose and to take a risk and, and be willing to sit with the uncertainty because ultimately you know you're doing what you love. Thank you. What's up? I said, what's up? What's up? <laughs> okay, so if you've ever been here before, you know that I'm on stage a lot, and I'm super comfortable on stage, but I never have to like present anything that I thought about and cared about. So this is different than just getting up here and saying good morning, and uh, just want to shout out to everybody who came up here and uh, put themselves out there in front of you guys. Uh, clap it up for them, please. And thank you for being here. Um, if you've never been here before, or if you've only been a couple times, <clears throat> believe it or not, this is not what our church normally looks like. It's normally, you know, music and preaching. Um, but a couple times a year we do this, and we really love it, the opportunity to let our people get on stage and tell their story. And it means a lot. And it means a lot that you're here to see it, so thank you. Now, let me tell you about today. First of all, you may be able to tell I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much over a cold my five-year-old gave it to me. Thanks a lot, Owen. Anytime I get a cold, I have like a three-week coming off period where I have this cough. So forgive me if every now and then I just go. <coughs> also, I ripped my pants this morning. <laughs> Not these pants, don't worry. I see some of you like looking up and away. It's okay. Tiffany brought me some, uh, some new pants. Shout out to Tiffany, thank you. Okay, let's do this. Like any good creative, I started working on this last night at midnight. <laughs> and I got distracted by YouTube, so it took a long time. <clears throat> We're talking about art, so naturally, I'm gonna talk to you about the Mighty Ducks. <laughs> Mighty Ducks came out in 1992. It was a great movie, right? And D2, The Mighty Ducks, came out in 1994. It was not quite as great, but for reasons that I'll get into in a minute, that movie completely captured me. The theme of this biography episode is art, and I don't know if D2, The Mighty Ducks, counts as high art, but I loved it. I probably watched it every day over the summer. I got it on VHS. At the zenith of my fandom, that's right, zenith, or insanity, I could probably quote at least 75% of the movie. Allow me to power rank the reasons I loved D2, The Mighty Ducks. Number five, it's a classic American sports underdog story. Kind of. Uh, raise your hand if you've seen D1. All right, raise your hand if you've seen D2. Okay. In D1, they're like terrible, and of course by the end, they're good. And so D2, I remember in the trailer, they were terrible again somehow, which didn't make any sense. But by the end, they were good. So there's reasons in the movie that that happened. But anyway, number five, classic American sports underdog story. Number four, I just started playing hockey. Uh, that maybe should be higher on the list because like, seeing them do like the triple deke and the wraparounds and the flying V and like, it was cool. Okay, oh, number three, it was cool. <laughs> <clears throat> the Calling of the Ducks, my, like the first scene in the movie where Charlie skates around and he has the duck call and they all come out and they skate through the Mall of America. If you remember that, that was great. Uh, the Bash Brothers, the Knuckle Puck, the Flying V, cool kids skipping school, playing in the Olympics, there's celebrities, etc. It was cool. Okay, number two, this one particular scene which I'm going to do for you right now. <clears throat> Imagine there's some like dramatic music going on, okay? You. Who are you? Dean Portman. From where? Chicago, Illinois. You. Guy Germain. From St. Paul, Minnesota. You. Jesse Hall. From Minneapolis, Minnesota. Who are you? Julie Gaffney. From Bangor, Maine. Luis Mendoza. Miami, Florida. Greg Goldberg. Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Les Averman. Brooklyn Park, Minnesota. Fulton Reed. Stillwater, Minnesota. That's right. Russ Tyler. South Central Los Angeles. Sidebar, anybody know who Russ Tyler was or is? 
Keenan from SNL. Okay. Charlie Conway, Minneapolis, Minnesota. Ken Wu, San Francisco, California. Connie Moreau, Minneapolis, Minnesota. Adam Banks, Edina, Minnesota. Dwayne Robertson, Austin, Texas. Michelle McKay, Duluth, Minnesota. And I'm Gordon Bombay, Minneapolis, Minnesota. We're Team USA, gathered from all across America, and we're going to stick together. You know why? And then Jan walks in in the back and he says, because we are ducks, and ducks fly together. That's right, Jan. And just when you think they're about to break apart, ducks fly together. And when the wind is blowing and the sky is black, ducks fly together. And when the roosters are crowing and the cows are spinning circles in the pasture, um, okay, ducks fly together. And when everyone says it can't be done, ducks fly together. And the number one reason I love D2, The Mighty Ducks. In 1994, I was 13. I was making a transition to a new school. I went to a magnet school for sixth through eighth grade. All my friends from elementary school and other kids my age in the county were shipped around to various sixth and seventh grade centers and junior high. But me, I went to the same school with the same kids for three years. Green Day's Dookie came out then when I was in sixth grade. Nirvana. Pearl Jam, Smashing Pumpkins. All the most iconic 90s bands happened when I was at my spongiest. My friends and I ate it up. We were technically at a school for technology. See what I did there? Uh, but we all gravitated to the arts. There was band, which I was in. Orchestra, chorus. Art class with Mr. Slater was a favorite. Of course, I also gravitated to video production with Mr. Sheffield, where I made such classic films as Free Fallen 1, Free Fallen 2, and stop motion building fall. Maybe one day I'll put it on YouTube. My point is, middle school was awesome. Just a bunch of weird kids experiencing culture for the first time. Going to trampoline parties at Monica's house. Making home movies at Josh's family's ranch. And starting bands and writing songs. I had my very own guest appearance with my favorite band, Tasty B. The and sometimes Y band was Tasty B, if you, yeah, yeah. The song was called Kazoo Man, and I was the kazoo man. In middle school, I played the kazoo. Like I brought it with me to school and played the kazoo. <laughs> and if you remember Spoon Man, so we kind of did our own. Anyway. All right, middle school was awesome, and then it was over. We were all sent back to our separate corners of the county. I went to Greco, it was a junior high. Um, all the kids had been in various schools together, including Greco for eighth grade, and I showed up for ninth. Did anybody here go to junior high as an eighth and ninth grade center? Yeah, I'm old, y'all. Okay. It was the last year they did that sort of thing. So I showed up in ninth grade. Everybody else had been there. If any of you have moved schools, you know the story. It sucked. I hated it. I didn't like anybody. Nobody liked me. Um, before block schedules, I don't know if you remember, you used to have like eight classes in a day, which seems crazy. And I went to the wrong class, like I just got confused, and I went to PE, and I went and sat on my number, like outside, and then the bell rang, and I was the only person there. And I was like, all right, ah, oh, crap, it's fourth period, I thought it was fifth. So then I walked into my science class, and I walked in, and I, you know, I was like kind of embarrassed. And they looked at me, and like, jeez. Oh, I was like, I'm sorry, I accidentally went to the wrong class. And this girl, Carrie, over here, she's like, you're accidentally a dork which is hilarious and a really good burn. But like, you know, I felt terrible. I was like, oh gosh. Um, so, this is the world I lived in when I saw D2, The Mighty Ducks. I was accidentally a dork. I felt like an outsider. I needed a group. I needed some ducks to fly with. And this is one of my earliest memories of processing real life through art. I've done it a million times since then. You probably have too. Your favorite TV show, your favorite album. Whatever. Uh, now I want to fast forward a little bit and talk about how Different Church was born. And I'm going to yada yada this because we're running a little bit late. So I, I cheated. Um, since I get to like book the band here on, on Sundays and we're talking about art, I thought I might as well like have the band play a song. So if you guys want to kind of start coming up while I'm finishing up, that would be cool. Okay, raise your hand if you've heard of Pete Holmes. Has anybody heard of Pete Holmes? So he's a comedian. He was the voice of the E-Trade Baby, if you remember the E-Trade Baby. Uh, he has a podcast where he had this guy on named Richard Rohr, and he started talking about non-dualistic thinking. 
Uh, most of us, when we make decisions, you know, short, tall, black, white, big, small, whatever. And this is fine in normal, everyday conversation and decision-making. Like, if you're going somewhere, you go this way or you go the wrong way. Like, this is just one or the other, right? Uh, but in real life, it doesn't really work as good. Most of us aren't short or tall. Most of us are somewhere in between. And I started to apply that thinking to faith and to the Bible. And this is really what started me down the path of progressive Christianity. And, and I didn't even know it at the time. I didn't, didn't even know this word, but deconstruction. Um, and that's a lonely path if you're in the evangelical world. I found myself feeling like accidentally a dork again. Uh, I was separate from um, the people around me who I was close to and who I really loved. And I felt alone. And I was experiencing something new. And I needed some ducks to fly with me. So I talked to some of the other ducks that I knew. Hannah. Hannah was a duck. Uh, Tiffany. Tiffany was a duck. And we started to kind of dream about what a different church could look like. Uh, at this time in life, I was lucky enough to not only process life via consuming art, but now I could do it by creating art. So I wrote a song, which I am not going to sing. That's why Kiana's here. <laughs> And uh, anyway, I wanted to share it with you. At some point, I realized this song was about different church, which is kind of cool. It didn't start off that way. And then I was like, oh, yeah, this is about different church. Uh, you guys can come on up. Um, can you clap it up for all these guys? Thank you so much for doing this. This is really cool. Uh, you guys are the coolest and the best. And yeah, I'm just kind of stalling because... Kiana's probably still tuning. You ready? If you ever feeling awkward, hum. It's like the best. Well, that's more than hum. Just like do some like random nonsensical scatting in the middle. Okay. This song is really cool, and uh, maybe you can convince Jarrett one day to let him to let him to let you hear the recording because I was listening to it and I was like, Jarrett, I'm upset. You have why have you been hiding this voice for two and a half years? That's not fair. Believe that we 
I did not think about how to end this, like, at all. <laughs> uh, thanks for listening. Um, Matt, Kiana, Allie, Natalie, thank you so much for playing that. That was so cool. Um, yeah. Uh, I was going to talk about the lyrics a little bit, but maybe I'll do it, like, in a, a social media post or something. But the point is, uh, I think a place like Different Church can change the world. And I think you're all a bunch of ducks. And... Uh, we're gonna fly together. Yeah, so thanks for being here today. Um, next week we'll have, <coughs> told you, coughing. Next week we'll have kind of a, a more normal service. Uh, Hannah will be back. And uh, thank you for being amazing. I feel like we're at church, so I should at least pray, which I've never done on stage at different church. That's crazy. Uh, I have a very specific way of praying that like in my small groups where I used to like lead them, everybody would know. So this is how I do it, okay? All right, we're going to pray. Let's close our eyes. This is how I start. Hey, God. How's it going? Thanks for being here with us today. Uh, thanks for giving us a good day. I just want to um, show appreciation to everybody who had the courage to get up on stage and talk about themselves. And thank you for, for giving all those amazing stories to us, God. Um, I pray that we just grew a little closer together today and that we would all uh, come back next week and having had an awesome week ready to have a really great Sunday we love you amen meet us at Bavaro's and then the very last official business I have to do is say okay bye